welcome back to another stupendous episode of the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we take the movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic, evil forest magic. Uh, I am your host, Josh Griffey, joined as always by my friend who was not born of woman. Ooh, that's actually true. Alex Dandino. <laughs> Sorry, Donna. I lie. I lie. All right, guys, before today's uh, scholarly pod, a little business, people. It's official. We are on Patreon. That's right. Patreon.com slash Film Alchemist Pod. The absolute best way to help the show. The absolute best way to help make this show exactly what you want and deserve. Guys, for as little as a dollar a month, you can get in, join the community, meet our awesome patrons uh, that we already have accrued. And as you climb the official Highlander tier ranking system, you can begin to select the very specific movies that you want us to discuss in a Patreon-exclusive library. Some really cool, fun changes on the horizon uh, of the Patreon. Some new tier rewards. It's going to be a really exciting year over at Patreon. So again, that's patreon.com slash filmalchemistpod. We assure you, every single dollar means the world to us, guys. So if you have uh, a little little extra ducat you can uh, throw our way we appreciate it greatly and look forward to you joining the cause for those of you who already do thank you so much all right guys go to youtube the channel is film alchemist make sure you subscribe over there so you can see our beautifully haunting faces right we're just like a blood stain you can't wash off once we get in your eyeballs just we're up in it haunted house for life casper the sexiest ghost that's us our visages uh, email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. Find us on all the socials you're on. We're easy to get a hold of. We love to hear from you. Uh, another thing you guys can do to help the show out. Make sure you leave a rating and review wherever you find the show. Uh, you can even add star ratings now on Spotify. Uh, a couple sentences, even a sentence, why you enjoy the show. Five stars. Make sure you're sharing it on your socials with the friends, guys. These little things help us defeat the algorithmic, uh, ghost ladies in the woods they trying to keep us from what's ours guys so let's band together <laughs> right you know what this is a let's just get our 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 leather patch on the elbow pad jackets on let's do let's grease our hair up so we look presentable it's, it's a it's a so tweed jackets tweed jackets yeah those things that i clearly wear all the time and know a lot about uh guys Let's order some food that no one would ever enjoy eating because it makes us feel fancy. The pod is scholaring this month. This month, the pod uh, enjoys the bard. The, Not the pod the studies bard. the bard. The pod studies the bard. We're very studious bard. in this pod. I don't know if you guys know this. Yeah. We we read a lot. I mean, we yeah. do, but like we're very studious, especially of the bard's yeah. training. So, yeah. Yeah. Our eyeballs overfloweth into our brain stems with opinions and takes on uh, literature's, one of literature's most uh, prolific writer or writers, uh, depending on I'm, who you believe. I'm puffing my imaginary pipe thinking about that. Yeah. Oh, dude. Pipes. I'm in for pipes. Um, Shakespeare, whether he was one person or many, right? monolithic in uh culture right since since the the first days when he was treading board right these movies and plays right well not we talk about movies right but these began as plays and you know for the stage this and that mm -hmm. shakespeare might be the most adapted and 
just abused source material of all time. Uh, so many fucking horrendous adaptations of Shakespeare, right? A lot of people want the cred of Shakespeare. They want the heft, right? You know, they want to try to lure academics like us into the old theater. And it's like, all right, but I'm bringing a bunch of crunch because I'm still of the people, right? That kind of thing. So they're trying to lure us in, show us a little teat of respectability. And then they drop something like, she's the man, right? (laughs) So just a lot of really dog shit Shakespeare adaptations. But when it works, the, the depth, the humanity, right? The emotional journey of some Shakespeare stories is fantastic to go on. So we have curated a month of uh, our favorite Shakespeare adaptations. Tonight, we begin with what I would consider the greatest adaptation uh, of Shakespeare to screen of all time, Akira Kurosawa's Throne of Blood, starring Toshiro Mifune. To me, this movie has it all, right? Macbeth is my personal favorite Shakespeare it's a haunting tale of ambition and right the the hidden evils within all of us made manifest. Uh it it plays very much in the horror elements, right? Which is something I love. There are ghosts, there's murders, there are betrayals, there's grappling with who we really are and who we think we ought to be. And the combination of Kurosawa's steady hand, the visual landscape and iconography of feudal Japan mixed with uh Mifune's just fucking barbaric performance in this movie make it one of my all-time favorite flicks Alex opening thoughts on uh Macbeth via the bar <laughs> um yeah you're not alone in that I think um I think Macbeth is probably the mo- the like the second most popular one to adapt next to like Romeo and Juliet lot of Um, that yep and it's been done a lot like i think this is the thing too and like because i think i do think throne of blood stands above all of them um as an as an adaptation because maybe by the end of the month we'll kind of compile who would even be a contender in my brain it's like you take out the stage work i don't know any movie that comes anywhere close to achieving what this one does i mean i'd say probably other than kenneth branagh's hamlet you're not going to find a better adaptation of the, of the art. Like Kenneth Branagh also does the original text Hamlet, but he updates the setting somewhat, Mm. but throne of blood is throne of blood is just very different. Um, It does something that other than really Kenneth Branagh, I have never seen in a um, Shakespeare adaptation, Mm -hmm. which is, it takes the very raw power of what the story is and reassigns it in a way that is so much for some, somehow like so much more epic and Macbeth, I think is, you know, Macbeth is amazing for one. I think Macbeth is an, like it's probably my, it's my favorite tragedy for sure that Mm -hmm. Shakespeare wrote. It's not my favorite, probably not my favorite Shakespeare story because I do like the comedies, but mm-hmm. this is by far the best tragedy. This is the most well written, scholarly, very this most, scholarly. This is about, well, I'm very scholarly, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm clearly. I mean, obviously, clearly. I went to college. I wouldn't um, hitch my fucking wagon to some rube off the streets. <laughs> I mean, that would be insane. Listen, listen, I went to college, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was there in body as much as I could be. 
Listen, I went to film school. I've seen things. No, honestly. um, I accidentally have fallen down near some books before. I picked it up. I wandered in the library once. (laughs) I had to print something off. But either way. um, Yeah, I am. I think Throne of Blood is by far the best adaptation of Macbeth. Because of all the reasons you listed. However, the caveat being, I also think that. I don't think there's necessarily bad adaptations of Shakespeare. There are adaptations that do not suit the material. But I think when you tell it, when, you, at, when you're adapting Shakespeare, like the stories are always so universal. Mm-hmm. If you neglect a very key element, usually that's the problem. And I think that's yeah. what Throat of Blood does better than any other um, adaptation, including, you know, like, Orson Welles version from 1948 and as recently as uh, the tragedy Macbeth from Joel Cohen with Denzel and Francis McDormand. Mm-hmm. I think what throne of blood does is it, it skips, it skips some of the more pageantry aspects of the original story. And again, like I think you put it best, like the brutality of it is, and Mifune's performance are the things that stick out really far. I mean, not oh, only yeah. that, just like the majesty of the filmmaking in general. Like, yeah, I love Kurosawa. Like, I love Rashomon. I love Seven Samurai. Like, I like this is like this is the hits. You know, like there's a reason they're classics. There's a reason they're on the Criterion Channel. There's a reason they're cl- they're, they're the hits. Right. This is incredible. This is this even is amongst the one, those. though, right? Yeah. This is. My my theory, right, on why I like this one better, right? Because Tragedy Macbeth is still fresh in some people's mind, right? It just came out. Right. I I am not a big believer in... And what I like about this one is that it takes what is a great universal story, right? This this how far will you go uh, to fulfill an ambition, right? And it, it places it in a different setting and finds a way to extrapolate the most it can. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the source material in a new way. The problem to me with Tragedy Macbeth is like, Iambic Pentameter works for me when I read. Listening to that, I'm like, it just sounds like <laughs> when I was a bouncer and drunks would like stumble. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. So drunks sound like Shakespeare to me. And I know it, it's a very masturbatory world of, I want to go deliver. I mean, Denzel even said, right? Like Shakespeare was the last challenge. And it's like, fine, but imagine Denzel getting to use his voice and really fucking deliver these moments the way Mifune got to use his. I think sometimes iambic pentameter is a fucking cement shoe around the films, right? Again, it's become this kind of masturbatory, like, you know, now you're in the club thing among stage people. And that's a very different world, right? That's a very different kind of immediate performance, right? When you're in film, I just don't want impediments to enjoying this thing, right? And again, I, I think if if I can get Tragedy Macbeth with subtitles in my own home, maybe that disappears for me, right? Because this was in a foreign language, and I you know, just read the subtitles, and it was fine. But I think there is something about unleashing the, the primal essence of Shakespeare's stories in a way that is unique to the creators themselves, instead of just trying to replicate what Shakespeare did in, in whatever time and land you're in. And, and this one just, 
Mifune becomes this perfect fucking vessel for the the absolute, you know, volcanic soul of Macbeth. And what the reason I like Macbeth the most is it feels the most stripped down of most Shakespeare's stories to me, right? It is just a straightforward this can be yours if you're willing to take its story and you just watch people unravel, right? And even with the ghost and the esoteric nature and this and that, it just fucking gets down to human business. And I think this movie really captures that, even though it's surrounded by pageantry. What did you make of uh, Macbeth in the setting of feudal Japan? Um, well, first, I just want everyone to know, I pretty much completely disagree with your thesis on why why Shakespeare adaptations don't work, which is fine. It is what it is. Um However, Throne of Blood <laughs> works. Throne of Blood works because, like I said, uh, like I had said, it does not, it avoids a lot of the pageantry that comes with what I think constitutes bad Shakespeare adaptations. Bad Shakespeare adaptations occur when people do not, it's not even about iambic pentameter. It's not about the actual pageantry. What happens is, is when people misunderstand or misinterpret entirely the intention of the story. And I think that's why Throne of Blood is better than most adaptations of any Shakespeare story. Because at its very core, between Buffune's performance and Kurosawa's just pertinent understanding of the material being about how power corrupts. And not only that, like the attaining of power ruins somebody. Someone who generally you would perceive as a good person. Mm -hmm. It is ambition rather than power that actually ruins something. So like for me, what makes throne of blood different is that it cuts through almost everything and it almost frames uh his obviously his name is not macbeth in this movie <laughs> we is it with sue uh well i think it's washizu yeah so Something like uh that. washizu is the um macbeth of throne of blood mm -hmm. what's different is it frames washizu almost as almost as a tragic figure, like more tragic than just like the actual, um, more tragic than the actual tragedy itself. You see, and this is always my takeaway from Macbeth is when it's done well, you see like, this is a good man who's just put in a situation where his wife is telling him one thing. And not only that, the universe is pushing him in this direction. Yeah, and, and this think... is something that Mifune captures really well in this. Right. The moment you see Mifune on screen, you know this is going to be a more raw Macbeth, right? Yeah. I would argue that in this film, they they pull away the, you know, a good man thrown asunder by a, a prophecy, right? The opening of him in the forest, right? I love the moment when they hear the cackling and it's evil spirit and they just are just charge hard charging soldiers just impotently bearing down on this path right right through the woods and and what the movie is saying in that wonderful image right these wonderful mist filled vistas right but is they're just hard charging with their arrow and spear to attack a voice um 
that this is a man who is just battling nature herself. Mm-hmm. And what, what this movie does so well with the prophecy, right, which is not news to anyone, right? This is a movie about self-fulfilling prophecies, right? Like, you are self-actualizing words. It's kind of how yeah. horoscopes and tarot well, and all that shit, and that's, they give us the clues with which we start gleaning right. everything else. And that's why this is different than, I think, a lot of other adaptations, because I think, in my opinion, a lot of the times the people that miss the point of Macbeth lay the blame. If you're going to blame characters, like this whole thing is obviously lay the blame more on the nature of the universe telling Macbeth what to do rather than Macbeth himself. And I Mm -hmm. think that's, what's really fascinating about throne of blood is they try to do this. They try to do this thing where they're laying the, they're laying the blame on Macbeth and lady Macbeth, obviously. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm not going to use their real names. (laughs) It's just, I'm not going to use them. (laughs) I'm not going to use their throne of blood names. Cause I just, I'm just not, um, Macbeth and Lady Macbeth in this movie, yeah, they they obviously lay the blame there, but there is this other element that it's another element that is more just like pestering them. I don't like when Macbeth stories come down to more um, ethereal qualities because of the witches. Like what I like about this is because of the style of drama they're getting at, which is the style from um, the curse I prefer called No Style. Um, the evil spirit they happen upon in the woods isn't just a witch. It's an evil spirit that could be anything. It could just be a vision that these two men are seeing beleaguered by war. Like who knows what it really is. I think that's what I enjoy the most about this concept. And this version in general is that what it feels like is less about the true supernatural approaching them and more about this could be just these, this could just be these men. This could be what's in the heart. This is what lurks in the hearts of men. Right. And I think that's absolutely the very most foundational aspect of Macbeth is that it had he not met that witch, this would be the course he took eventually. Right. This is a butcher of men who knows that to get where you want to be in life, you just hack your way to it. Right. This was always going to be in this one. Yeah, they do find these like pile of skulls and this and that. Sure. But they they're what I also like about this one, too, is when they get to it. Right. The evil spirit. And again, it's not even evil. It's just a spirit with a loom. Right. Just making an observation. Right. This is going to happen because I can see uh, as, as they as the spirit says. Right. You humans, I'll never understand you. You try and hide your desires. Right. Mm hmm. When you take that concept, right, which, again, to me is the the essence of Macbeth, and you place it in such a repressed, you know, just laden with ritual kind of society, right, as feudal Japan, I think it just becomes this perfect boiling plate for all this guy wants. He is denying himself, right? And what I love about this movie, too, the the other shift that they make in this movie that I appreciate a lot is this movie, I feel like unfairly Lady Macbeth takes so much of the blame in most it versions of Macbeth. It happens a right, lot. Right, she, she's the evil, power-hungry well, temptress the, behind yeah, they the do good this, man. They do this in every version. Right, and in this one, it actually makes Macbeth a more cowardly kind of man. Oh, he totally. tells her what happens and she knows that she her her role in this is to just voice 
what he wants to hear but won't say out loud because it would not be fitting of him and his station to say it so she's parroting exactly what he wants to hear and they frame her a lot where she's not even on the screen and Mifune will be just taking up this fucking frame as she's talking as if it's his own inner voice playing right there's a wonderful moment of this when the people knock and you know she has already told him she's gonna drug the wine right and she's like, I'm going to go get the wine. Just Mifune not stopping her as she inches, inches, inches to the door. And then they cut to this doorway shot where it's this kind of surreal moment, right? Where she floats into the black and immediately floats back with this vase of wine. As if the poisoned wine or the drugged wine was already prepared. Right. And so Lady Macbeth does not become this ghoulish fiend just trying to like you know scrape up the the after glory of this attack she is just there talking him through what she knows he's already gonna do i think what good at what good adaptations do for macbeth is make lady macbeth the accomplice not the sinner the original sin is this man this man who decides that he will give in to his innermost desires. Rather than being the soldier he was, he's going to give in to who he wants to be. I think that that's always the fatal flaw, and that's why there's a lot of Macbeth stories that don't... There's a lot of Macbeth stories that make it a screen that don't necessarily work because they do this thing of making Lady Macbeth... They try Again, it's... You know, we live in a very male-dominated world, and of course, a bunch of dudes making a movie go, it was her fault, she did it, I knew it! Just like Adam yeah. and Eve, it's the whole thing. Yeah. It's very much that way a lot of the time. Again, I think you're right. Like making Lady Macbeth the accomplice to the crime, rather than just yeah. like, rather than like the poker slash perpetrator almost. Yeah, because that happens a lot. Honestly, the Justin Kurtzel version that uh, came out with Fastbender had a lot of that tonality to it. Mm-hmm. That just doesn't like. And again, like, yeah. there's never a time. And I'll say this. There's never a time where I think it's like shitty performances, especially in Macbeth. Like they don't have shitty actors do Macbeth generally. Like, you know, Ian McKellen, uh, you know, Ian McKellen, Patrick Stewart, Denzel, like all these great actors have done these this part on television or in film. It's when it's the direction really that this has to take. And again, that's why kurosawa is so incredible because he he knows this he knows that he has to take control of the story but more importantly it can't just be obviously it's the woman's fault for like poking her husband to like we're all pushed by better women that's the way it goes it's just this guy's not a better man that's the point of Macbeth. and again even in the denzel one that just dropped it was kind of my my sticking point with some of the movie is denzel is played as this really noble man and it's like oh if only this hadn't fallen on me and francis mcdormand is not this you know cackling evil woman no, pushing but him that's into not it, but, the lady but, macbeth but, character but also macbeth just being like oh god i wish you hadn't said that i never would have done mufune comes in in the mo- the first moments that he's talking to his wife about it you see on his face that this guy is just trying to find the right justifications. He's he's not debating whether or not he will do it. 
right. he is crafting the narrative well, for after he's done it. I think this it. is well. This is and again, this is the Kurosawa storytelling that's better than a lot of the rest is by placing it into essentially what it becomes is asking permission. Like I think that's the really important thing is that rather than being poked and prodded into doing something, what Kurosawa does is gives Macbeth the character the option to ask for permission. Now, whether that's from the universe or from his wife, so to speak, it is this it is like a psychological imperative that this version of Macbeth asks permission from his wife, essentially. Like by saying by being like, eh, you know, should I do the by telling the story, she's not necessarily poking and prodding and saying, go do it. I mean, she is, but not in the way that we normally are used to seeing. What she's doing is giving unconscious permission for this man to carry out something that was in him all along. Yeah, she is giving voice to it's the it. His inner desire, right? The same way the ghost did. She sees him for exactly who she is. She has known long before this movie starts that this was an ambitious man who's a rank climber, right? And when you're a rank climber, you're going to fucking climb rank. And with Macbeth, the way he's done that in his life is through slaughter. So she knows exactly what he wants to hear. And I think that is such an important decision to make is that Macbeth is not just this victim of fortune, right? He was going to do this. And I think you see these moments, right? These unspoken moments, right? So even when they win their victory and they're awarded their new castles, they both had this stunned look. And I think some people would read that as, oh, they're scared because the prophecy came true. That's not it at all. I think they both don't say anything in that moment. There's no jubilation because they're like, fuck, I can't hide from myself anymore. Yeah. Like, it's go time right well, now. Well, that is the subtext of that moment in general. Yeah, like, and I it's think just that's, wonderful. Yeah, yeah, that is, and that's what that's what's happening throughout Throne of Blood is the subtext of everything happening in the movie is given such room to run. So, like, when we're watching it, we can really... You get to you're getting to extrapolate psychological things that you would never extrapolate from some other versions. Like and again, there are some great directors who have tackled this before. Like uh, you know, Orson Welles, but they haven't done what this does, which is let like let a lot of moments like sit. And I also think there's another thing that we haven't talked about yet that I really love about this movie more than anything, which is the vastness of the camera work. Like everything is huge and i i mean and i mean and i don't mean that in a bad way either like even stuff that seems like it should be intimate is almost stage like like the first time you one of the there's a scene uh the, the scene right before they start feeding uh before they but they poison before they poison um banquo whoever the character is supposed to be i cannot remember off the top of my head jesus christ duncan either way the lordship yeah <laughs> the lordship that scene, that shot of him and him and the lady, like, is so wide, and you're just like, and I'm I, that I I, I paused the script, I pa- I paused the frame, I was like, why is this like this? I wrote it in my notes. I'm like, what am I supposed to be gathering from this? I'm like, right. This to me is the visual. This is like the visual of like, they are separating from each other. Like the poison's been put in, and now they are on their divergent paths of not only that, but like they have to be like. They can't be in cahoots. They almost have to be separate visually as well so that they are not found out. It's this really 
it's this really interesting thing that he's doing with the framing, but then also these just beautifully huge shots of Mount Fuji from the like during the opening. Like it's so moody. And it's also like super yeah. German in a lot of ways. It's very strange. Mufune has a, you know, kind of kabuki expressionistic performance for sure. Yeah. To me, what what you're getting at with the wide shots, I love that, right? Like even when he's the lordship himself and he does these like big dinner, right? Where the old guy this guy does a dance and essentially drops like an ancient diss track. And he's like, Oh, you're a bad guy, you're gonna get it. Right. And then Mufune's like, Hey, shut the fuck he's like, What? Me? Ooh, oh and I'm like, dude, you're dropping bars on him. About everything he just did. Yeah. Like, everyone fucking knows what's going on. Sorry, but, we didn't mention, this is also the prequel to 8 Mile. My bad. That was, that's <laughs> a, it's a key, key moment. For sure. And that, I mean, hey, he traveled a long way. You know, started from the bottom, now he's there. But what Ooh, I like shot. about the, uh, the, the wide angle, right, for a lot of these, and I, I'm assuming some people would hark it, you know, that harkens to a stage performance and stuff. What it does for me, and the reason that this version is so wonderful and maybe catches my mind, this is the best version that mixes in the, the supernatural elements to me. Not because it is omnipresent and, you know, spooky ghostness, right? Whatever. The Every forest shot, right, has this wild mist flowing through it. So it gives it this kind of gothic-y look, right? It has a universal movie vibe, right? Where there's just flowing mist everywhere. And when Macbeth and his wife are talking in that room and the camera feels like it's 15 feet further back than it needs to be, all that empty space has this kind of paranormal activity effect where you feel like the the fucking ghost, the the spirit, nature itself is looming large. And what I think this one does is the moment you see Mifune, this is a foregone conclusion. Not because we've just seen it, but you know you're watching a man who's on a downward descent, right? This is not a hero's journey. Right. Um, this is the last ride of a of a man. And I think that that extra space, right, really lets this breathe. Because it, it kind of has the same effect, right? The camera being really far back to me plays like the the choice to have these incessantly strong winds blowing through the shots constantly mm-hmm. this constant nagging reminder that there's something we can't see that is constantly oppressing these people in the story right and i think just like blending all of those and who knows maybe it was just windy as fuck when they filmed but when i watch it i'm reading into it so much because there's craft everywhere i look and so I, I think just that mix of the ever-looming nature and ghost and the wind, it has this real horror movie vibe. The tone is tense, and you're always waiting for the next atrocity. Yeah, it's a very ominous thing, yes. the entire movie. And, I mean, like, again, I, I mean, the fog, the, the the thickest fog in this movie that doesn't feel like someone's just blowing like fake smoke throughout set the set <laughs> the whole time you're like feels very real for some reason like the amount and the way it sits on set is very specific and yeah i, yeah, I agree like i think that the ominous threat of just not e- not even anything but nothing the threat of nothing 
is so terrifying throughout the movie. Yeah, it has like a whole vibe. Well, it's it's so matter of fact, and even when Mafune kills the guy who brings him the head of his friend, right? Who he's just seen as a ghost. Right. right? Literally, the camera pulls way back again, and we watch him dueling his, you know, guilty conscience and nothing's there, and the men way in the back being abhorred. Um, even in that moment, right, a guy comes in with his friend's head. And when he kills him, it's just so anticlimactic. It's just a fact of the room, right? It's not this big ceremonial beheading. And he even is recoiling when this man is gargling his last bloody breaths, right? Right. So this man who's committed all of these horrifying acts still being appalled by these very simple, violent decisions he makes. It's just really, it's really fascinatingly done. And and this one too, they don't diverge a lot to the side characters and the gathering forces. I think some Macbeth adaptations lose me a little bit when they're so concerned with the other characters and I was not born of woman. It's like, right. Well, no that's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been talking <laughs> about, which is this, streamlined narrative that really gets to the core of what Macbeth is about. Like we do yes. lose, we shirk a lot of this really traditional stuff. Like, yeah, you have to spend time. I, I've never like spending time with like Banquo and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't give a shit about any of this. Like, I, I, I know it's important to like, no, yeah, I, I know it's, it's like, I mean, well, I mean, it's like, you know, Chekhov's trees, but at the same time, I'm like, I get it. Like, <laughs> But see, that was done to really cool effect in this. This movie. this one was but awesome. Like, yeah. So the Denzel movie where it's like, hey, do you just want to go watch a uh, baby Dudders kind of chit chat and a Woody Lane for a while? It's like, no, I don't ever want to see Dudley for the rest of the film. Well, he's done. He's done. Dudley does not matter to my Macbeth journey. Right. Shh. Throw that shit out. And some, you know. Some people like the extras. Some people are traditionalists with their Shakespeare. But to me, right, so the decision of the trees, right? We take out the I was not born of woman, right. which is kind of this weird, like, semantical trap. It's like you were. You were fucking grown inside a woman, right? You might have yeah, taken I mean, that life. I've never had this, like, oh, yeah, I've always been, again, I'm like, that seems like a really weird and also, like, uncomfortable way to describe a C-section. I'm like, wait, so yeah. uh, any, any C-section child's like, not a real man, I guess. I'm like, oh. yeah, it's like maybe I'm learning a lot about ancient disses and diss yeah, tracks. Geez. Oh, see, old Richard, not born a woman. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like it's like do we? It's like is everyone a snow like the way John Snow is because he's a bastard? Is that like part of the deal? Like, oh, if you if it was a C-section baby, you're not a real. Kid. <laughs> I might be a bastard, but at least I came out of vagina like God intended. <laughs> you non whatever you are. No, it's so you get rid of that, right? You eschew that shit. It still has the you will net like, you know, Mifune rides back in the middle of this looming danger. He rides back right. into the labyrinth like forest to confront the spirit and the spirit's just mocking the shit out of him. Uh, this moment is one of my favorites, right? Because she says you'll never lose until the, tr the forest itself moves on your castle. Right. And she said there's this great line where it's like if you're going to do as she's shapeshifting, right? Mm -hmm. The ghost. And it's, you know, if you're going to do ambition or greed i can't remember how they phrase it right do it honestly do it with cruelty and he's like i'll paint this forest red and i was like oh fuck yeah dude mafune is unleashed right the power of his voice and his presence and his fucking just burning hot rage that is always 
what I what I love about Mifune too in this movie, he he doesn't get lost in the really the big dramatic held look because there is this roiling dark abyss underneath all those looks that is doing so much more. But so he addresses his troops, right? And he goes, I'll tell you the truth. And he tells the whole fucking sort of tale of the ghost and the and this is the part that is so wonderful is he goes, uh, everything that prophecy has said has come true. So we cannot lose until the forest marches. He forgets to mention that his friend who he beheaded, his son is going to replace him, right? So he's already rewriting the narrative. Right. Um, even as Lady Macbeth said, right? Like, I'll change the fates, right? Um, and that is weaponized so that when those fucking trees are coming through the fog in this wonderful shot, his troops just say, nope, that means it's over. So he again has self-actualized this fucking horrible outcome. Had he not said that, they might have stood their ground and defended the castle. But because he tells them the fucking hokum, right. now they just are like, arrow that well, motherfucker. You know, well, you know what's <laughs> interesting, too? And I don't know how you felt about this, because like this is something that I've always noted about Throne of Blood, too, is, and I don't, I could be wrong, I don't remember the original Shakespeare, him putting it out on Front Street. Like, I know this isn't going to happen because the trees haven't moved. Does that happen? Uh, I don't feel like he ever addresses like a I, I grand think, ceremony. I always he might have he, told a couple people. I always thought he always kept the uh, prophecies pretty close to the chest in the original. Yeah. So for him to – why do you think he puts it out like that? Like why do you think Kurosawa adapts it so that he does this? I think Is in this that like a moment, hubris thing? he sees the fear. He sees his men ready to run. Right. And I do. I think there is this – it's the one honest scene we see in the whole movie from Mufune. Right. Which is he's standing atop of all of them where he belongs. I will never lose a battle, right? He is manifesting this powerful general who has to stand atop and deserves all of this, right? Right. And as clever as these men are, they are not him. He has no fucking respect for them as human. He even says, like, you know, that old guy, he's pretty wise, but fuck him, dude. I got the forest and the ghost and... (laughs) You know, let him fucking send birds flying into my crib. I don't give a fuck. Right. And I, I think it's the one moment where his his delusions are 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 laid bare for everyone who's not Lady Macbeth. He right. is showing to the troops who he thinks he is, mm-hmm. and they fucking buy it, right? They're buying into this ceremonial facade. And again, we know that he is leaving out some of those crucial details. Because, again, that's kind of a weird old Shakespeare thing. Like, did they really? Like, I don't know if you've ever planted a tree. Like, even little trees are fucking heavy as shit. So, like, I've always been like, wait, they just fucking carried trees with all the branches. Like, how did they? Right on, whatever. But in this one, it is used as this, um, again, just kind of focusing in on this is all just Macbeth manifesting his own tragedies, right? This movie's not a tragedy because – it, it, I, it's hard to say it's a tragedy if you choose to jump into the wood chipper yourself, right? Well, I mean, it's a tragedy <laughs> in the sense that somebody dies. Like, again, most yeah, of them... A piece most of shit of the, dies. <laughs> well, I mean, again, most of the Shakespearean tragedies, in my opinion, are all, like, again, like, we were, like we've like we been talking about this entire time, like, all self-fulfilling prophecies. Yeah. I think Romeo and Juliet are fucking idiots. I've always said that. Yeah, but, but see, like, at least Romeo and Juliet, you're like, ah, they're just like no, star-crossed no lovers. No pass. I feel like they're no, no, good no, 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 no. kids. Macbeth At, is a brutal no, they bastard. Are not. That is not true. How dare you? 
Romeo and Juliet are fucking idiots. Juliet did nothing. Their hand or by another's. I was hoping that <laughs> I was hoping that Macbeth would storm in and cut both their heads off before the end of the show. That's what he I was would. Hoping. He would too, because he's a dirty rat bastard. The he only is. tragedy in this tragedy of Macbeth, Game of Thrones style, was I actually felt bad that because this one added in the uh, the Lady Macbeth miscarried a son, right? That was going to be her. Uh, yeah, that was the big. That and was the stillborn thing. Yeah, this was a problem I always had with the story, and maybe this is just me being a long way from having read it on the page. I don't remember her losing a baby in the original story. It's not. No, they, they never and, have children in the original. Right, and the whole notion that she is this wicked serpent in the Garden of Eden who turns a good man. But then somehow is really guilty in her conscience and can't wash off the blood. Never flew with me. I'm like, she would. She knew exactly what she was doing. Why does she have all this regret? Now, the fact that that action led her to that being her sins being passed upon this child who's stillborn, right? The blood on the hand she's washing off is not a lordship or some fucking guy who is just a means to an end, but of that right. baby. Well, what's that interesting, is truly haunting to me. Again, Throne of Blood recontextualizes the Lady Macbeth story because of this. Because she's they my add, favorite Lady Macbeth. It's because they add this. Well, because they add this. Um, because they add the subplot of like because. The original was not about, like, Macbeth, of course, wouldn't have an heir. That heir would take over for him. And this man is obsessed with, once he's attained power, obsessed with keeping it. So for not only Kurosawa to approach it as, okay, but not only does this man want to continue power, he wants to continue his legacy, his great legacy as the lord of the manor, the lord of the forest castle. So this great legacy is supposed to continue for it to not doesn't bring us any um you know it doesn't it doesn't make us feel bad for Macbeth but it recontextualizes Lady Macbeth and gives her this sympathetic angle that I don't think any of us have ever had which I think is where so much of that Lady Macbeth causes all this to happen comes from so by giving her that motivation to the spot you have to wash out is this blight upon your house it's not the blight upon your life because you did something terrible like plotting someone's death you you like because you have taken life life has taken from you of course you would be sim of course you would curse the gods you'd ask for it back yeah. of course so it's it's right it's this it's the remorse she feels that i think is what makes that out damn spot out scene a head and shoulders above the rest of the others yeah and it's it's done just very simply within the 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 framework of what could have been there it's kind of it reminds me of watching cruella right a three hour long origin wow. story does not make me feel more sympathy for the woman who i know in the next movie is gonna skin a bunch of puppies it's gonna take 101 dogs to make a fucking coat nope because of a weird dog's bitter mom on a cliff story like that that movie does not accomplish that goal at all you're just like whatever like she's just a terrible person yeah. like she's a terrible broken person right she's unleashed okay this movie reworks Lady Macbeth to be just another victim of Macbeth's war path to that throne. Right. And you see that she's a woman who has bonded to him. And as a, she's decided she's along for the ride, but she's not this fucking soulless monster. And even a moment when we know she's partaken in these atrocities, 
the idea that an innocent child paid for that and she even thinks that there is a small moment where we can relate to that pain even if we don't feel bad for lady Macbeth herself right right and i think those decisions and even just the decision of it's not an epic battle it's just the men turning on this guy and it's like he said the forest thing let's fuck him up and Mafune's just long, drawn out, running from arrows. Man, the absolute inevitability that, of his demise. What a scene, by the it's, way. It's a perfect ending for the film. What a scene of a movie. Like, when he's finally, like, walking down the stairs with that arrow through his neck. Which is, like, and the by fucking the way. the army men step back. What a cool <laughs> visual. Oh, my God. Like, no, yeah, the I, army men stepping back and literally just taking in this not just not just they're beaten. fucking afraid of him he's a ghoul he's a he, monster he's yeah, not he's human become this thing yeah he what i love that that scene amazing. when he falls face first into the mist consumed by the supernatural mist um and just the regiment is standing there i'm like that is one of the most beautifully composed shots i've ever seen and you know and this movie is top-notch beautiful across yeah. the board but that last little bit that Macbeth last shot of him there, walking down fuck, man that last shot of him walking down towards the regiment is it's i mean i don't know maybe they just had really great film stock that day but it is fucking beautiful like the way it looks it, it's like, one of those where i'm telling you like it's the, incredible everything about those those last couple moments are fucking wonderful man and and this mm-hmm. This man just becomes this cautionary tale we find out, right? Like, he's just another guy who fucking reached for the crown, man. And now he has become... And that's the thing, that little ending with the chanting song again, right? The first casualty of the grave is pride, something like that. Yeah. Um, And that he'll wander as a spirit, right? That now Macbeth might be out there as a spirit, right? Um, Revealing our inner darkness to ourselves. It, It... kind of plays back through the movie where we are watching this heightened allegory right this heightened uh tale around a campfire to keep us on the straight and narrow which really works extra well for me but i mean it's just the perfect blend of kurosawa just masterfully paces this film and the use of space and visuals to just i mean this whole movie is just one long haunted house yeah and Mafune being that fucking house and playing again this very big reaction, right? Like silent era, big for the camera reactions. But with the context of he is putting on a front that he's appalled, right? Knowing everything he's going to do beforehand, like a cold, calculated motherfucker. Right. Um, And the dynamic with Lady Macbeth. I mean, this is just... I, I think Macbeth, the story, is wonderful. One of the best ever written. This version, to me, is even better than the original. It took what was great about that, made it its own, and that amalgamation produced a more enjoyable product for me. Um, I, I just think it's fucking stellar work yeah. across the board. I mean, I think the distillation of what Macbeth is is what works for Throne of Blood. And I think they take out the stuff that wouldn't... I think what's interesting, Kurosawa takes out the stuff that wouldn't work, I think, for Japanese audiences, and instead, it's what doesn't work for, like, every audience. 
and yeah. makes a version of makes a very straightforward version that's very compact and tells a very specific story rather than and again this was always a Shakespeare thing is there's all these subplots and all these other types of meanderings that go on during his shows so for there to be a very streamlined version of this story in Throne of Blood is what makes it so yeah. it makes it so compelling it's it is truly it, a masterwork it's timeless right like we still talk about now people feel like they can't be their true selves Mm-hmm. They can't say what they really want to say. They can't do the things. That is one of the most human experiences, right? Thinking something or wanting something, desiring something, and being like, oh, fuck, does that make me a bad person? Right. Just depends on what you're willing to do to manifest that, right? I, I just... Indeed. This is what Shakespeare is at his best, is just really rolling around in that, you know, primal human right what is that thing right whether it be love or death can any of it be a tragedy is this where we're just all heading when we're mostly exposed i i think that's when shakespeare is at his absolute most powerful and when you mix him with a great filmmaker this is the result well i think when you take what makes shakespeare i think when you get away from the pageantry and like granted look throne of blood has plenty of pageantry in it right because it is based on this very specific like antithesis of kabuki style of drama in a lot of ways not antithesis i guess but just an offshoot when you're looking at something like that and avoiding i think what there are common pitfalls and i I, kurosawa might have been doing he might very well not have been doing it unconsciously but i think when you're avoiding certain pitfalls of adhering to the text and i'm not even talking about the language because i don't really think the language bears that big a deal context is always the bigger deal for me for um context is always a much larger deal for me for shakespeare yeah. movies so for me when what you're doing is telling the very human portion of the story and like getting to the real core of what makes the story itself work that's when you get movies like throwing a blood the two come together, right? The two minds, the two worlds, and something greater is born, man. It's it's one of the joys of uh, art traveling from medium to medium. That's it for Throne of Blood. We have just begun our, our deep scholarly examination of the Bard this month. Uh, next up, just a harrowing, taut, a uh, thrill ride in O? Question mark? <laughs> I guess we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> if only Throne of Blood had more dunks on an eight-foot rim. Oh. <laughs> All right. So that's up next, guys. we got a lot of great Shakespeare coming down the pipe. We have wonderful films on our yeah. Patreon-exclusive feed this month. So, guys, again, that's patreon.com slash Pod. Help us out if you can. Join the fun. We promise we'll make it worth your while. Uh, the email, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. The YouTube, filmalchemist. Find us on all the socials you're on. We're easy to get a hold of. Make sure you leave those ratings and reviews wherever you find the show. It does help us out a ton. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, and more than anything, guys, thank you for the time. From the Film Alchemist, I'm Josh Griffey. I'm Alex Dandino. <laughs>